Thank you, guys. Before we actually get into the message, I just wanted to know, take a little opportunity to update you. We've, I don't know if, if you've updated them recently, but for the past few months, we've had a little ministry going at the prison with some, some boys there. Just wanted to let you all know that it has been gro- going incredibly well. The, the ministry we're doing, there are boys in a kind of a separate place back behind the prison. The boys are 12 to 18 years old, and they're all there for some sort of sexual crime that they've committed. And so they've been uh, really from all over the state of Florida brought in. They've been separated from really everybody they know, and this is a rehabilitation program. Uh, There's a man that's been coming to our church. He's invited myself and Pastor Johnny, and if any of you want to come with us, you're welcome to come. It's, It's just a chance for us to go once a week for a little Bible study, and it's turned into... I say little Bible study, we, we tend to stay for pretty, I've, several times I've been there for over two hours because we just start it by opening it up for questions and let them ask anything they've been reading that week or has been on their mind. I mean, these are boys with a lot of time on their hands because they're just sitting in their rooms a lot. And so they've been reading and becoming hungry. And uh, the reason I really want to update you on this is through a, a, one is I, I started walking through the Old Testament, but, and Pastor Johnny came and, and did something kind of correspondent two weeks in a row. One was the message of Joseph, and another was kind of a recap of some of what we've been learning here on don't waste your life. And um, the central message they heard really and two weeks in a row and, and even a little more than that was that God can take things that people meant for evil and use them for good. And that this time that they have is, a, is hard and it's not, no, nobody wants to be there, but it could be an opportunity for them. And we saw that really resonate, especially uh, really clearly with several of the boys, two or three uh, strongly were coming up afterwards asking for references and things to go read the next day and... Uh, been a really neat time to see their hunger. In addition to that, there was a boy who's asked to be baptized, another who's asked to begin leading their own Bible study during the week with each other, and we're just seeing God stir up uh, a heart in these boys. And so the reason I wanted to share that with you, one, is I'm thankful for what God's doing, and I feel the responsibility to tell you God's doing something, but I also want your prayers. This is one of the neatest places I've ever been as far as a ministry, a place where I walked in incredibly skeptical of any sort of moral compass or idea. To be honest, these boys having this kind of sexual crimes that they had, um, I underestimated God in a big way walking in there. And I've seen God say, I can do things in their hearts. And... um, in fact, that's going to roll into a little bit of what we'll talk about. God can do amazing things, and he's, he's showing himself. And so I'm just asking you to pray uh, with us on Wednesdays as we go. We go every Wednesday from 1 o'clock, and we usually stay from 1 to 2 or 3, depending on how many questions and how much time we have to discuss. 
So actually what I'd like to do before we get in, I just want to take a minute, and if you'll pray with me, I'll just lead us in praying for these boys and God's ministry there. Yes. Every, every Wednesday night, and then there's something every Sunday night, and those are both the Baker County jail. That's right. Okay. Let's let's pray for them right now. That's right. That's right. Dear, let me pray for them right now. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the, the truth of the gospel we're getting ready to talk about tonight that um, there is no one outside of the reach of the power of your salvation. Uh, we confess, and I particularly, and I believe many in here will agree with me to confess our own arrogance that sometimes we think it took less power to save us. Um, I pray that you will convict us of our sin, of our pride, of our blindness. And I pray that you will stir up in us this great excitement to see you work miracles. In 1 Corinthians, you say, consider your own calling. Not many of you are wise or powerful because you chose to use what was weak and foolish in the world to shame the wise. And so I pray specifically for... um, the prison ministry, this ministry with the boys, also the jail here in Baker County that Curly's doing. I pray that you will use the gospel being spread in these places. The, some of the, what our society would say are some of the weakest, some of the uh, least hopeful people in our society. And I pray that you will use these people to shame the wise, that you will bring a revival in those jail houses, that you will bring a hunger for your word bring true repentance, and that we will see you work a movement there. I pray that um, one day in heaven we can look back and see how you worked in a place that nobody even imagined and that we will give you all the glory for that. I pray this in your name. Amen. Um, so, just so you know, it was already mentioned, we talked about possibly talking about Honduras tonight, but we're going to wait until Tommy gets back. And so what I actually am going to do is a little bit of some of the devotion stuff that I had personally while I was both at camp, and then I kind of went back through it while I was at uh, in Honduras. And I just want to flesh it out a little bit for you guys tonight. And what I'm going to do is mostly focus on two verses, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. So let me give you a little context. When we went to camp, we took um, 30 people. That's about 25 campers and five adults. We went up to Ridgecrest, North Carolina. And someone that some of y'all remember probably, Rob Turner, was the campus pastor there. And he's done revivals here before. I'd actually never met him, but he came to me with glowing reports of how much you have meant to him. And he, uh, he, he spoke to us all week about what is the gospel. 
And we started in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. And so we worked a little bit on nights trying to memorize that, trying to get those two verses in our head. And, and I've continued to think about them and dwell on them devotionally. And then we go to Honduras. Uh, we had a, not quite a week off, and then we go up to Honduras. Took 19 of us to Honduras. And then... T- uh, one night, the boys had a devotion where we were really talking about the Great Commission, uh, but Tommy Dell kind of started talking to us a little bit about the heart of the ministry there. And Tommy Dell said, uh, one of the lines that really stood out to me is, would this be worth it if only one person came to Christ? Right? And Tommy Dell said, it is, because I believe the gospel is that radical in what it does for somebody. And so that kind of reawakened this idea is I want to stop and look at, at the gospel in this, in this passage. And so what I want to do is just read it to you and go through with some thoughts and some, some devotional look at Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. So if you'll read it with me, then we'll pray and talk about it for a little bit. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we look through this passage tonight, I pray that you will reignite our passion and our love for your gospel. Help us to be people who leave here saying with Paul that we are not ashamed of this message we call the gospel. Pray that it will influence the way we interact with people that we work with, that we are with our families. Pray that this will drive us into ministries that give us opportunity to share the gospel this message that is the power of salvation. Pray for myself tonight that you will provide clarity, right thinking, and I pray for all of us that you will open our hearts so that we don't merely, we don't simply understand it in our brains, but that we uh, respond rightly to your word in our hearts. I pray this in your name. Amen. Central question I really want to ask is, what does it mean that he's not ashamed of the gospel? Right, so Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And what I don't think is simply what he means is, like, I don't get embarrassed when people talk about it. He's not talking about, right, when somebody's, you know, when I was in middle school and my mom would come and pick me up at school. I'm like, I didn't want anybody to see. That's not the kind of not ashamed he's talking about. He's, there's something deeper there. And I think that really what he's doing is explaining the context that just came before In verses 13 through 15, Paul says, my whole goal is to get to Rome. At this point, he's writing the book of Romans. He's never been to Rome. He says, and I really want to go there. And in verse 15, he says, in fact, I am eager to preach the good news. Another word for gospel. I'm eager to preach the good news to you who are in Rome. And so he says, why? Why am I so eager to get to Rome? And this is really an interesting question because when Paul finally gets to Rome, uh, within a couple of years, he'll be killed. Peter will be killed. I mean, Rome is not a safe place for Paul to go. So what would possess a man to be eager to go to a place where they're killing Christians? 
where he knows that his life's at risk, and he would say, I'm really excited to get to come to you guys. And so what I kind of would have expected is him to say, the reason I'm so excited is because of how much I love y'all. I really love the people in Rome. But that's not what he says. He says, the reason I'm so excited, the reason I'm so eager to go to Rome is for, the word for meaning because, I am not ashamed of the gospel, right? His passion to get to a place where he may die is because he is not ashamed of the gospel. So in my understanding here, to not be ashamed of the gospel would mean that there is, a, there is an eagerness, a yearning, a longing to tell people about this message, which Paul calls the good news, Paul says, I can't wait to get to this place where eventually my life will be laid down. I will go and die, and I'm excited to go because I have a message worth sharing. Now, I don't mean that he didn't love the people in Rome, but that's not his primary thing. What his primary excitement is because I am not ashamed of the gospel. And then after that, I think we see really three reasons he's not ashamed. He goes through and he explains, first, what the gospel does. Second, he tells us who the gospel does it for, right? What is the gospel capable of doing? Who is it, who can be affected by the gospel? And then the third thing he's going to tell us in verse 17 is how the gospel does what it does. My question as I've looked through this devotionally is I've thought, am I eager to share the gospel? Do I think I can't wait to go to this place, the, whether it be the boys' prison or, or anywhere, because I might have a chance to share this message? If I lack this eagerness, this unashamedness of the gospel, I think that it's likely that I may be missing one of these three points. Perhaps I'm not eager to go because I don't really understand what the gospel can do. Right? I'm not eager because I don't understand what Paul's going to call the power of God. Maybe I'm not eager to go because I really don't believe or don't understand who could be affected by this. Maybe I think the gospel is a message for somebody other than where I'm going or the people I'm talking to. Or lastly, maybe I'm not excited about the gospel because ultimately I just don't really understand it. I don't know what the message is. So I want to walk through these points and see what he says and just ask, do we understand, do we know what the gospel does? Do we know who it does it for? And do we know how the gospel works? So let's start. He's not ashamed of the gospel because of what it does. It is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. God's power. So the first thing he says is, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it does something. This is actually God's working, God's power. The gospel is able to actually do something. And what is it able to do? It is able to save people. Now, I guess how excited we are about this is going to depend somewhat on what we understand the word salvation to mean. Right? How big of a deal is it that the gospel can save people? 
While we were in Honduras, a highlight, I hope you'll hear more about it, um, the boys on our, was our second day there, we went and built, uh, worked on building a house for a lady, and the girls went out to different homes in the area. They split into, was it three groups, and each group went to a different home, and one of those homes, or one of those groups, had a chance to meet an 80, I believe her, she was 86 years old, and her name was Goya. And they spoke to Goya, and they shared the gospel. They shared this message of good news with her, and Goya, that day, prayed to receive Christ as her Savior. 86 years old. Think about what happened in Goya's life. At 86 years old in Honduras, really in anywhere, but especially in Honduras, you assume Goya is at the end of her life. At the end of her life, Goya is facing one of two options, right? It is appointed for men once to die, and after that comes judgment. Goya had one of two options. Goya was going to spend eternity in eternal judgment for her sin and rebellion against God, or Goya has a chance to spend eternity in the presence of God, with God, rejoicing, always increasing in joy and happiness herself with her creator. And in this day, when our girls got a chance to share the gospel, they changed her destiny for all time. That's huge. Goya, at 86 years old, was likely to face an eternity in hell, separated from God, suffering, right, justly suffering for the wages of her own sin. But our kids brought her a message that said, you don't have to. God's power can work in your life so that you can be saved from the penalty of your sins. And she will now spend eternity with her sins paid for by another man so that she can enjoy heaven for all time, enjoy God for all time. That is an immensely powerful thing. And if we do seriously believe that heaven is on one side and hell is on the other and Goya hung in the, in the balance, how can we not be eager to proclaim to her this gospel that is God's power to save her? What a cool thing. Tommy Dell asked, would it be worth it if we had spent the, it's been close to 30 years now that IMB has been operating, right? Is that 30 or 20, between 20 and 30, right? 20, 30, so it's 20 years maybe. Still, in, in 20 years, all the trips, all the money that was spent, if it all was done for just the chance for one lady to spend eternity with God in heaven, would it be worth it? No doubt. You're talking about an eternal weight of glory that has been given to this girl, this woman. How can you not be excited? How could you be ashamed about a message that gives the power of God unto salvation? The second thing he wants us to think through, you may be ashamed, not because you don't believe that God can save people from their sins, but maybe we don't understand who can be saved, right? He says it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. The Jew first 
and also to the Greek. Everyone who believes. There is not a single person on this globe who is outside of the power of God to save. And I wonder if one of the reasons that we're ashamed of the gospel, afraid to proclaim the gospel, is because we believe that the people around us can't really be changed by its message. Sort of like I confessed to you earlier, when I went to this boy's prison, I was doubtful of the potential for them to respond to the gospel. These boys are going to be hardened. Uh, They're going to be too rough, too... Their, Their minds will be too darkened to understand this message. And instead, God's shown... I have created a hunger in this group because my gospel can save anyone who believes. Probably the saddest part of the trip was coming home from Honduras because as soon as I get home, my phone's been off for a whole week, which is just a blessing in itself. But I get back, I turn on my phone, and immediately messages come in. And I'm talking about messages from CNN and Fox, all my little app, my news apps. And I found out, y'all had a tough week here. A hard week. Multiple shootings. In my lifetime, this is the most tension I've ever felt racially. I've never, and I'm sure that some of you can say, well, I lived through harder times, and and there there have been hard times in our nation's history, but I was born in 1978, and this is the most tense time I ever remember. And to be completely honest with you, for me, it's very discouraging because I don't really even know the answer politically. Politically speaking, I don't know what can be done to fix this kind of issue. But what Paul is saying is that these racial lines are no barrier whatsoever for the gospel. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or you're Greek. This gospel will save everyone who believes. Right? God's power to save is that God can take a person, whether they are black or white, Jew or Greek, in other places, male or female, barbarian or slave, anybody can be saved by this message and become my brother in a way that is actually more true than even my flesh and blood. Spiritually speaking, for all eternity, there are people of all colors and all races and all tongues who God says, I can save through this message and make you united with them. This message is hope to everyone. It worries me sometimes that the tensions that we face in America will make us stop believing that God loves people who seem to be set up as our enemies. But the message of the gospel is that Jesus actually came to his enemies to die in the place of his enemies. I almost because this has been on my heart, I almost turned us to Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 22. It says, remember, you were all enemies of God. He died to you to reconcile you to himself. And when he reconciled you to himself, you who were enemies with each other have also been reconciled to him. So you have 
by default been reconciled to each other. That this gospel has gone out to all people, regardless of race or color or how much animosity there is between us, is that I can make people who were once enemies be united, brothers in Christ, in a way that is far deeper than any political turmoil we might be facing. I think that sometimes we're not excited about the gospel, just to recap, because we forget the stakes. We forget what we are being saved from. I think sometimes we fail to be excited about the gospel. We become ashamed of the gospel because we forget who the gospel is offered to. The enemies of God, of every tribe, tongue, and nation, whether Jew or Greek, people who have no right to the gospel, it has been offered to them, to everyone who will believe. And I think one more point I just want to bring out is I think that we fail to be excited about the gospel because we just don't understand how the gospel works. Look at verse 17. For in it, for in it being the gospel, for in the gospel, in this message of good news, in this message about how you can be saved by the power of God, God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This message is admittedly in one sentence, complex. And then Paul's going to spend the rest of Romans trying to help us understand what's going on in this sentence. But there's a lot we can get right here. For one, is that the gospel is the means by which God's righteousness is revealed to, brought to, made real in our lives. See, in chapter 3, he's going to explain the reason that we need to be saved is because all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short of God's righteousness, his righteous standard. God's righteousness is alien to us. But in the gospel, something that is alien to us has been revealed, it's been made known, it's been brought to us. You have a chance to have the actual righteousness of God put onto your account. How? How can I have the righteousness of God? By faith. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The righteous will live by faith. And it's this over and over instant re-emphasis of the idea that you can be saved completely apart from the works that you do. But because of the righteousness of God, when you trust him, depend on him, Beg him for his mercy. He can give you a righteousness that is not your own. Put it on your account so that you can be right with God. This verse, verse, Romans 1, verse 17, is the verse that is credited for bringing about the Protestant Reformation. If you're familiar with the story of Martin Luther, Martin Luther was a Catholic monk who was working hard to earn good standing before God. He had made, actually, a pilgrimage to Rome, and he was climbing St. Peter's stairs. If if you've seen, there's a biography of him slowly climbing each stair and kissing it and praying, and all the 
priests are saying, hurry up, man, because there's money to be made, and you're holding up the line, and he's just feeling like I'm doing everything I can to be made right, and no matter how much he works, he still has this overwhelming sense of it's not enough to cover my sinfulness. I'm far more sinful than no, no amount of stairs I could kiss, and no amount of rosaries I could pray, no amount of penance I could pay could cover the amount of sin that is weighing on my account. And he began to despair because he said, I'm working harder than anyone, but I never have relief. And then he opened his Bible to Rome, Romans chapter 1, verse 17, and he reads, the righteous will live by faith. And it's a light bulb went off. He says that God can save me. The power of God can take a woman like Goya, 86 years old, and regardless of the fact that she spent 86 years in rebellion against God, when God changes her heart and causes her to trust and believe him, regardless of any work she has done or how much work she will do, God says, on the basis of faith, I can make you righteous. I can reveal the very righteousness of God, all of the goodness of God, put it on your account. And that way, you will be perfect, completely deserving through the righteousness of, of God himself to enter into heaven. I think that we forget that. I think that we forget that the most unimaginable thing ever, that we could spend eternity with God in heaven, has been made so simple. God says, I simply want you to believe. I simply want you to trust. I simply want you to put all of your dependence in me, and I'll give you my righteousness. The rest of Romans unpacks all of this. But for now, I just want to ask all of us to ask ourselves, is this a message that we would say we're not ashamed of? And again, I don't mean I'm not embarrassed when people bring up the gospel. I mean, is this the kind of message that I am eager to share? Do I look for opportunities to take this message that you can be brought from death to life, for everyone who believes because God will give you his own righteousness. Though you have none on your own account, he will give you his righteousness. Do you eagerly look for opportunities to share this message? Are there people in your family that you're praying God will give you the opportunity to talk to? Are there people at your job, people you work with, prison ministries, care center, ministry. Many, many of them, Joel and I were talking about one of the great things that Rayford Road is known for in our community is our mercy ministries. We have the care center and First Coast Women's Center, these prison ministries. And there's ministries where we show mercy to the people who are down and out in our society. Do you get involved in these ministries with eager expectation that God will give you the opportunity to share the message that will not only provide clothes and jobs and healthy babies, but a message that he'll give you the chance to share a message that will usher them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light so they can be saved for all of eternity.
my prayer the last two weeks of meditating through Ridgecrest and Honduras is that God will make me and, and all of us at Rayford Road people who are not ashamed of the gospel. So what I'd like to do now is pray if the music team would like to come up and we will ask together that God will stir our hearts to fall in love with his message of salvation. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these two verses in Romans. Thank you for Paul, who first recognized that he was so excited, so unashamed of this message that he would go to places where his life was at risk for the opportunity to share the message, which is your power to save anyone who believes. I pray that you will take our hearts and form them and shape them and guide them so that we will begin to look for opportunities that we can share this message. Pray that if we are currently feeling unequipped, that you will show us how to better equip ourselves so that we can be your ambassadors, taking this message of salvation to the world. Show us now as we move into a time of response where our passions are weak. I pray that you will stir those. I pray that where we have not looked as far as opportunities to share, will you give us um, opportunities? Will you bring those to our minds so that we can think of family members and co-workers and friends and people throughout our community that we can share with? And then I pray, lastly, that you will just stir in our hearts a thankfulness that you have imputed your righteousness to our accounts not because of anything that we have done or could do, but simply because we have believed that you are the righteous one. We pray this in your name. Amen.